Good morning. It's been a wonderful morning indeed. Here we are, five and a half, maybe six months later, coming to the end of our book study of Philippians. I hope many of you have been challenged along the way. I know I have myself most definitely. Paul, in writing this letter, spent considerable time challenging this church in areas such as harmony and unity, prayer, humility, gospel proclamation, anxiety, pride, joyful living, all of these topics we've discussed and looked at in depth, hopefully many of us challenged along the way. Last week we looked at our focus upon our energy, which comes from affirming our strength, the significance that we can do all things through Him who strengthens us. And that being said, not only did Paul challenge this church throughout the letter, but he also sought to encourage them. We need encouragement as well. As a pastor, there's always a balance between seeking how much we should challenge believers in Christ compared to, at the same time, encourage. We need it both. As Paul closes out this letter, He certainly seeks to encourage them in these final words. As you see in your bulletin, I've titled the message, An Encouraging Farewell. Now recently, some of you heard me briefly speak to this in our Sunday school class, had the opportunity to hear a Q&A from Pastor John MacArthur out in Los Angeles, California. He spoke to many men that were headed to the Shepherds Conference, but unfortunately were not able to do so. And during that Q&A, there was a comment that was made as one of his great-grandsons were running around the church that such a shame that that young man has to be raised in a culture in a day and age such as this. And John MacArthur looked at him and said, and he expressed this in the Q&A, he was telling the story, he said, no, not at all. For such a time as this, this little one is here. He went on to say, in his 52 years of ministry, and is that not amazing in and of itself? I was thinking about that, I don't think I could make 52 years here. Hopefully I can make like 30 at the end of my 80s if you guys don't pull me off. (laughs) But he said in his 52 years of ministry, he's never seen a greater attack on the gospel than now. In some respects, that's discouraging. And we've all been there and we felt that. But he went on to say, as he was speaking to men, and primarily pastors that were attempting to go to this conference, but we had to do it live stream, he said, I've also never seen greater opportunity 
than the day and age that we live in. And we talked about that previously in our class before here. With As our culture continues to celebrate depravity, even in this month, what does that bring? But much more pain and suffering, heartache. And we have the answer, do, the, do we not? In the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now for me, I needed to hear that. I'm sure in many respects, many of you do as well. It was an encouraging, wonderful, pastoral word that he gave to men to be strong and resolute as we previously just discussed to understand that our success is not in us but in Christ and it's already been accomplished. Amen. Nevertheless, my question for us here today is how might we mutually encourage one another in the body of Christ? As we look how Paul was taking this last moment in this letter to encourage the Philippian church. John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, had this to say, and I quote, Christians are like several flowers in a garden that each of them have the dew of heaven, which, being shaken with the wind, they let fall at each other's roots, whereby they are jointly nourished and become nourishers of each other. Love that picture. In our passage this morning, we'll look at four priorities for Christian living which will certainly serve to mutually encourage us in the body of Christ. To use Bunyan's metaphorical picture, four priorities that will be like the dew of heaven, nourishing our roots. Would you stand with me, please, as we read our passage for today? Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 23. Paul's final encouraging farewell to the church at Philippi. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You may be seated. 
Our first priority, taken from verse 14, is to partner in ministry. And here in verse 14, the sentiment regarding relationships, as we referenced last week, Paul was, of course, to some extent concerned with the monetary gift that we see that was given to him to support him, to partner in ministry, but he was more concerned with their relationship, as we discussed last week. Here, that sentiment continues as he says, share with me in my affliction. Now, regarding this word share, allow me to offer an account from the 20th century pastor Harry Ironside for some perspective. This was taken from Pastor Ironside. He said, I believe it was Pastor Dolman who I heard tell of how he was sitting at his desk one day when he heard the door creak. And then suddenly there was a sharp cry of pain. Looking up, he saw his little daughter who had started to enter the room when her little fingers had been caught in the door. He jumped up and calling the mother said, you better come and look after this little girl. The mother came and taking the child said tenderly, does it hurt so dreadfully? Oh, it hurts, said the child. But the worst is that daddy didn't even say so. How we, like someone who says our troubles and you remember what is said of our Lord in all their afflictions. He was afflicted. The key here, as we consider that example, is this word sympathy. The father did not show sympathy to the young girl. That's what she desired. The mother did. Paul's use of share here is derived from the word fellowship and it conveys a sympathetic interest in one another from a negative contrast he used the same word in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 11 when we read do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness but instead even expose them so at least from a positive perspective partnering in ministry is a major contributor for encouragement. Sympathetic, personal partnering. We know from chapter 2, verse 20, that part of that sharing was the sending of Epaphroditus. We saw that. And the monetary gift that was attached with that. That being said, and we'll see throughout this message, there's much more when it comes to the priority of partnering in ministry than just the financial. The sympathetic interest takes on an even greater dynamic when we think of this sharing in his affliction. Paul's already confirmed to them in chapter 1, verse 29, that, that when we follow Christ, suffering and tribulation even as we looked at this morning, is inevitable. A pain line is coming. In chapter 1, verse 5, he encouraged them in their participation together in the gospel. 
Two verses later, he talked about them being partakers of grace together. Within that message, we looked at the prayer of emotion and how this contributed to deeper levels of relationship and in turn encouragement. And then, of course, here in this text, he says that they have done well in this sharing of ministry. The key for us is to see the personal investment and involvement that inevitably flows forth from partnering in ministry. Sympathetic, deep emotions that creates encouragement amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. Many of us have seen this firsthand, even in our own lives, as we partner with individuals in ministry. Some here, I'm sure, have even served together on the mission field. Partnering in ministry together, sympathetically, personally becoming invested and involved in one another's life, encouraging one another along the way. Some of us support missionaries that we're sympathetically and personally invested in. Isn't that not why we created mission captains here at Marian Christian Chapel? That we might be more connected, invested. Or maybe it's a ministry like our home care ministry. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, in need of our help in their affliction, while some of us share in that affliction, encouraging them all the while re receiving encouragement back. Those of us that have been there understand that dynamic. It's my hope as well that we'll grow in our encouragement as we look to the horizon of our new ministry with community groups. How we might be more connected, sympathetically, genuinely interested in our brothers and sisters in Christ. Might we prayerfully pursue, pursue greater levels of encouragement by partnering in ministry together? Might we take to heart the words of the Apostle John when he said, Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Listen to the words of early church father John Chrysostom concerning personal partnering in ministry. And I quote, he stated, What he has said may have distressed them, but what is yet to say will give them a new zeal for life. How had they shared his trouble? By suffering for Christ. He does not refer, refer simply to their giving, but to their to their being partakers in Christ. This shows that the blessings are theirs insofar as they become partakers in Christ. He does not refer to his troubles being lightened, but to his troubles being shared. This is much more personal. Similar to our Bunyan metaphor. This is personal partnering and ministry that nourishes our roots together. That is an encouragement. If we desire it, it will be a part of our life. How might we partner more in ministry? 
Our second priority is to practice generosity. We've discussed this multiple times throughout the study. And now, especially here in verses 15 and 16, we see this generosity clearly on display. First notice that he says, at the first preaching of the gospel, they were willing to share with him. And we saw in chapter 1, verse 5, when we read, in view of this partition of the, participation of the gospel from the first day until now. Now, we also know that these terms giving and receiving communicate a sort of debit or credit type of financial understanding. And that being said, there's an underlying truth behind it all that I think is far more important for us to see. There's a heart desire that immediately flows forth from the church to share in matters of generosity. From the birth of the church that we looked at in Acts chapter 16, we saw how they were desiring from their heart to share in ministry with Paul. This, of course, this of course certainly would have stimulated them to practice matters of generosity. And the moreover, in verse 16, notice that he states that their generosity was more than once. Now, what's critical for us here to understand? That this church was committed to a lifestyle of generosity. It was the power of the gospel that enabled them to do so in conjunction with the relationships that enabled them to continue to do so. As we ponder those realities, listen to the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8 for some personal application. Paul said to the church at Corinth, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Now, in many respects, I feel a little inadequate as I look out to many men in this room to make a farming illustration. You guys could probably do a lot better job than me. But let me give it a shot. Our harvest of encouragement or blessing is directly proportionate to the amount of seed that is sown. If we continue with our credit and debit language, we might look at financial investments as a picture and saying that our ROI, our return on investment, is directly linked to our ultimate financial advisor. 
Now, I have to stop for one moment and make a very important clarification. This has nothing to do with any type of heretical health and wealth message. A message that guarantees that we will have health and wealth when we give in abundance. The idea throughout Scripture as a whole is the idea that our encouragement can in principle be financial. That is to say, He will certainly provide what is essential for us. We see that in Matthew chapter 6. However, our encouragement will also be a spiritual fruit of encouragement when we practice generosity. We'll see more of this in verse 17. So, if we're still seeking application, might we be encouraged to encourage others to practice generosity in a way that even supersedes the need. As the tabernacle was being built, listen to the words of Moses in Exodus chapter 36, verses 6 and 7. So Moses issued a command, and a proclamation was circulated throughout the camp, saying, Let no man or woman any longer Perform work for the contributions of the sanctuary. Thus the people were restrained from bringing any more. For the material that they had was sufficient and more than enough for all the work to perform it. Interesting. The Israelites, even in this context, were so committed to practice generosity that they were giving above and beyond the need and Moses in essence had to tell them we don't need any more stop for now when it comes to just the interpretation of Philippians 4 verses 15 and 16 how might we apply that I have one challenge for you what is God purposing in your heart when it comes to being an abundant, cheerful giver to the ministry of this local church. The believer that learns how to live a life of open hands with what you have been given will certainly find more encouragement and share encouragement We'll see in the final verses of this book that generosity encompasses more than just the financial. Albeit, it's a critical part of the puzzle. Now, when it comes to verse 17 and generosity, there's an, another essential element for us to consider concerning Paul's view here. True encouragement for the body of Christ flows forth with believers that practice the attitude of Christ, as we saw in Philippians chapter 2. A mind that counts others as more significant than yourself. 
a generosity that's anchored in humility. The words of our Lord ring loud and clear in Matthew 6, verses 3 and 4 concerning this. When he said, but when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving will be in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Recently, on social media, I was privy to a circumstance that saddened my heart compared to what we see here, humble practicing of generosity, not necessarily concerned about the monetary gift, but the relationships and the people that are involved as a partner in ministry. A mega church in Cincinnati, Ohio, where I am from, as you all know, and I'll even name the name of the church, Crossroads, took to social media to broadcast to the world that they were about to give $250 million over the next 25 weeks to multiple nonprofit organizations. Is that practicing generosity in a way that would honor the Lord? Or is that touting your gifts before the world as if to say, look at me. So sad. Paul's desire, as we saw last week, was not necessarily about the gift, but a humble concern for the people. Look again at verse 17. He says, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Generosity can indeed, as we just discussed, have a financial sowing and reaping principle. And that being said, here's where we also see this spiritual fruit of sanctification that creates encouragement as well. Paul, in essence, desired that their generosity would be like a credit to their spiritual account. Jesus made a similar type of comment in Matthew chapter 6, verse 20, when he said, But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. Or what about Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34? The writer says, For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Open hands. It's these open hands, when it comes to our possessions, our material things, that create in us an opportunity to practice generosity Listen to the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'll read verses 2 and 7 as we think about why would we have open hands? Why would we desire to be a people that practice generosity? In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? 
And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? God's word clearly shows us that we are simply stewards of what we have been given. Everything that we have, whether it's in abundance or in lack, is a gift from God meant to draw us closer to him, to shape and mold us more into his image. Allow me to offer a hypothetical illustration for more clarity along with a challenge. I stumbled upon this one. But a young girl was given $2 by her father and told that she could do anything with those $2 she wanted as long as $1 was used to give to the Lord. And this young lady decided she wanted to go to the candy store. And on her way to the candy store, she just so happened to trip. And one of the dollars went down the storm drain. And in that incident, the young girl said, well, Lord, I guess you just lost your dollar. In the words of Bodie Bauckham, if you can't say amen, say ouch to that one. Sad, but this is an all too common attitude that often robs us of great encouragement in the body of Christ on how we view and perceive our resources, our possession that we are simply called to be stewards of. Let us purpose to be wise stewards who practice generosity liberally. Before we move to our third priority, I want to draw your attention to verse 18 for one other nugget of application. In this abundance of generosity, Paul says their generosity was a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. In a world full of technology, times have changed, have they not? Take, for example, even here at Miriam Christian Chapel on our new revamped website, we have access to online giving through our portal. And let me admit, that is my preference when it comes to practicing generosity with our church and the giving of finances to the ministry. Nevertheless, whether it's through online giving or dropping a check in the offering box, we must never forget that our generosity is an act of worship. Before we do so, before we set up an online giving, before we give to the church financially, whether, whatever means it may be, do we desire to prayerfully consider what we are giving to the Lord that he might use it for his glory and for the benefit of his kingdom? It's an act of worship. Paul's choice of these words was most certainly intentional and often used throughout the Old Testament when it comes to sacrifices and worship. In Genesis chapter 8, verse 21, we read, The Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and the Lord said to himself, 
I will never again curse the ground on account of man. Or in Exodus 29, verse 18, you shall offer up in smoke the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to the Lord. Or when it comes to the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews will say, chapter 13, verse 16, and do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. When we think of generosity and self-sacrifice, there's no greater example than what we see in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. You don't have to turn there. And walk in love, not just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us in offering and sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. All this to say, my dear friend, let us never allow our generosity which is an act of worship to be something that is superficial or apathetic. Mutual encouragement will inevitably flow forth and it will be a sacrifice that is pleasing unto the Lord when we desire to do so as we talked about with the attitude of Christ and in a mind of humility. And our third priority, we'll see the logical progression of what partnering in ministry and practicing generosity produces and how that continues to encourage us. And that is found in verse 19, to affirm his provision. Look with me again at verse 19 in this wonderful verse. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, in the same manner that we needed to clarify a distinction between what is true and what is false when it comes to the health and wealth gospel, I need to briefly say that at times, unfortunately, this verse is taken in a fashion that would be similar to a name-it-and-claim-it type of theology. The false notion that whatever we deem as a need, whether financial or physical, all we need to do is believe this and He will provide it. Name-it-and-claim-it heresy. Is that what the context of this passage suggests? Or scripture as a whole? Of course not. As we see throughout the principle, that's a key word, the principle of God's financial or material provision is at a minimum fully responsible in providing 
one's essential needs. Paul was at times amply supplied. And we saw that last week. But other times, he learned how to live in humble means. In whatever circumstances he was encountering. So, there's certainly a sense here in which Paul is suggesting that their material needs would be met through their generosity. However, I wholeheartedly believe that he fully intended for them to embrace generosity not just because of their material needs being met, but from their spiritual provision and their sanctifying provision as well. We reference this in our prayer of confidence from Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And that wonderful truth for those that are in Christ, that the work that He began in you, He will bring to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. But what about all believers? Eternal hope. These, these believers at Philippi would have been reading this letter in its entirety. All of these things would have been together as they thought through the encouragement that he was giving. In chapter 3, verse 21, he said, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. When we think of mutual encouragement for the body, what a wonderful reason for us to embrace the reality of knowing that he will supply all of our needs understood contextually in Christ Jesus. Allowing us to affirm his provision. Giving us peace for the storm. Allowing us to stay humble in the midst of abundance. Are you in need of material substance today? Maybe some of you are. Don't forget Matthew 6.26. And it's the Lord that feeds the birds of the air. And how much more valuable are you to him than the birds of the air? He will provide what you essentially need, perhaps in humble means or in abundance. Are you in need of contentment? As we discussed last week, freedom from anxiety. He provides an escape from it, as we saw in Philippians chapter 4 in the beginning of this chapter. Or even in Matthew 6, as we've, as we've referenced several times in this message. Perhaps some here today are in need of the greatest encouragement the world has ever seen. The end of this verse states, in Christ Jesus. To my unbelieving friends, 
This promise can only apply to his people. However, if you affirm his provision and the need he has offered to your broken soul, you will find the ultimate encouragement and a new creation in Christ. And moreover, why are we able to find such encouragement in this affirmation of his provision? Same reason that Paul was. He says, because of his riches in glory. Paul uses these two terms together on multiple occasions. As we look at his use of it, we start to begin to see the infinite love of Christ that encourages us to affirm his provision. Romans chapter 9, verse 23, he uses it in reference to his electing love. Ephesians 1, 17, concerning his redemption. Ephesians 2 and 7, his kindness. Ephesians 3.16, strengthened by the power of his spirit. Colossians 1.27, this great mystery that has been revealed in Christ. The dividing wall that's been torn down. It's these examples of the limitless love of Christ that enables us in the same way was for the church at Philippi to affirm his provision that he will supply all of our needs. What great encouragement is that? If you are in Christ here today, then you know of these same riches and glory. We rejoice together. We encourage one another together in it. Let that be our confidence as we affirm his certain provision. As we mutually encourage one another in our walk with Christ. And let's briefly look at the final priority as Paul concludes this great letter. Verses 20 through 23. And that is to give hospitality and grace. Perhaps some of us are tempted to pass over this doxology in verse 20 and then what seems to be just a few pleasantries to close out the letter. A couple thoughts for us. The first regarding hospitality. Notice that Paul uses this word greet three times here to communicate even a greater emphasis. Not to mention this charge to greet every saint in Christ Jesus is actually a command. And the only command in these final verses of verse 14 through 23. In addition, and this is vital for us to see, Paul doesn't use the plural here, but uses the singular 
and communicating that they were to greet every saint. Find that interesting. We've mentioned this before, but even in these final verses of our study in Philippians, can we be challenged to connect with as many people as possible within this local body? Enjoy your inner circle. But allow for God's word to stretch you. To connect with more brothers and sisters in Christ. Partnering in ministry. Having sympathy for their hurts and their pains and their afflictions and their suffering. Praying with them. Practicing generosity with them. Affirming his provision together with more of us. Would that be our heart's desire? I get it. It's not easy. But by the grace of God, we can overcome. And not just overcome, experience more encouragement in the process. And then finally, grace. Paul began this letter in chapter 1, verse 2, with a prayer for grace. And then now here, he ends the letter with grace. And as a simple reminder, we've defined this term grace several times as being the free and compassionate influence of a holy God upon undeserving sinners. It's this type of acknowledgement that showcases the great truths of Romans chapter 5, verse 8. And yet, while we were still sinners, Christ demonstrated his love for us by dying for us. That's grace given to us freely. In light of that, how can we not give grace to others? Be patient and tolerant with others as we seek to glorify Christ and encourage one another to love and good works, as the writer of Hebrews stated. I pray that this encouraging farewell that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi would be an encouraging farewell for us as we move on from the book of Philippians. But let, it, let us hide it in our hearts as much as possible as we seek to be doers of the word, not just hearers. Would you bow with me in prayer? Dear Lord, thank you for the, your precious word, the revealed word of God and the 66 books of the Bible that you have given to us. Lord, it is this word that enables us to partner in ministry, to practice generosity, to affirm your provision for us, to give hospitality and greetings and grace to others. Lord, I pray that you would fortify us deep down within our souls 
with this word in order that we might be found conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. As unworthy servants deserving of nothing but eternal fire, hell, and damnation, you have given grace to us. Lord, now, by your grace, help us to go forward loving the world, loving our brothers and sisters in Christ, speaking truth and love, all the while desiring to work as unto you and not to men. That is our spiritual inheritance. In the precious name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.